are listening to Ouija Broads. This is Liz. This is Devin. This is part two of our Butch Cassidy stuff. And if you haven't listened to part one, what are you doing? Go back. What are you doing? Don't do that out of order. What do you think this is? A Fast and a Furious franchise? You gotta watch shit in order here. Yeah, it's free. (laughs) (laughs) I like how I just yelled at a fictional person for no reason at the top of the episode. We love all of you. You're all our perfect angel babies. We don't Mm -hmm. mean to yell at you. We just don't want to confuse you. No. All right. So when we left Butch and Sundance and Etta, they were leaving New York City on a steamer down to Argentina. It was February 20th, 1901. Yes, you remember that. And I only remembered that because it's been about five minutes and half of it was my birthday. So they came down to Argentina. They traveled as a family. So like Cassidy and Sundance pretended that they were brothers oh. and that Etta was Sundance's wife, of course. And yeah. they moved into this four room log cabin on a 15,000 acre ranch. Oh, my God. In Argentina. Yeah. They're living my dream. It sounds really cool. And it feels like it's out of left field that they moved to South America until you realize this was also huge cattle country at the time. Okay. So any place that you have big herds of cattle, you have the people to move them. So in the U.S., they're Mm -hmm. cowboys. In Mexico, they're maybe vaqueros or something like that. Vaqueros. And then in South America, this skill set is necessary as well. Yeah. So... During their years in South America, I think it's kind of hard to pick apart how much is them and how much is the legend. So, you know, as we talked about in the first episode, this wasn't even really part of their story, the second act, but they really did move down there. And the Pinkertons were still after them. So there's at least one or two bank robberies that we're pretty sure were them. But there's also, just like there were in North America, people who ripped off their methods, law enforcement officers who wanted the prestige of saying we got robbed by them. Uh, They would sometimes work legitimate jobs, specifically as like payroll folks. Hmm. And often that would then lead to a payroll theft. (laughs) Ah, (laughs) Because they would figure out how your gig worked and then rip you off. Yes. But... They also, at least once, according to some sources, uh, Butch was getting ready to do that. And then I don't remember if he got sick or just got caught short without supplies. But the owners of the mining operation looked after him and gave him blankets and food and helped him get better. And he was like, well, shit, I can't rest (laughs) now. (laughs) I love that conscience, though. That's one of the things that makes it okay that his... his, uh, outlawness has been glorified to me yeah he was not indiscriminate he was not just uh you know i take what i want from whoever yeah so he wrote a letter who's this letter to so elsa lay was a member of the wild bunch and for Uh some reason i don't know what their relationship was like but in 1902, Butch wrote a letter to his mother-in-law, Elsa, his friend's mother-in-law. Okay. So I don't know if he just liked everybody that much and was a great <laughs> correspondent or what. But I'll read you some excerpts because okay. this is a letter that they pretty conclusively say, yes, this is Butch Cassidy. This is 
evidence that he was in South America and his insight into what he was doing. Okay. So he says, my dear friend, I suppose you have thought long before this that I had forgotten you or was dead, but my dear friend, I am still alive. And when I think of my old friends, you are always the first to come to mind. I love that. I don't know why he's like so close to this older lady, but he loves his friend's mom. Yeah. That's very (laughs) sweet. It will. And they've, they've edited some spelling and cleaned it up here a little bit too. It will probably surprise you to hear from me away down in this country, but the U.S. was too small for me. The last two years I was there, I was restless. I wanted to see more of the world. I I had seen all of the U.S. that I thought was good. And a few months after I sent A, I don't know who this is, over to see you and get the photo of the rope jumping, of which I've got here and often look at and wish I could see the originals. And I think I could liven some of the characters up a bit for Maudie looks very sad to me. I don't know who he's talking about, but specifically, like, he clearly is, like, referring, like, this is an ongoing discussion. He's like, yeah, that picture of the rope jumping, and Maudie looks sad, and we know all the same people, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So he talks a little bit about, you know, he got some money. According to him, he's like, my uncles died. Or he specifically says, another of my uncles died and left Mm. 30,000. And it's like, "Mm, okay, was your uncle a train? (laughs) I visited the best cities and best parts of the country of South America till I got here. And this part of the country looked so good that I located and I think for good for I like the place better every day. I have 300 cattle, 1500 sheep and 28 good saddle horses, two men to do my work. Also good four room house, warehouse, stable, chicken house and some chickens. The only (laughs) thing lacking is a cook for I am still living in single cussedness and I sometimes (laughs) feel very lonely. Isn't that oh. adorable? Single cussedness. Oh. Single cussedness is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> For I am alone all day and my neighbors don't amount to anything besides the only language spoken in this country is Spanish and I don't speak it well enough yet to converse on the latest scandals. <laughs> <laughs> I need to learn the language so I yes. can gossip. Oh, I really miss gossip. It's terrible. So That's I think why wonderful. he's saying single cussedness is because, again, this is like nobody really knows. But at some point, Etta separates herself from the two of them, either okay. depending on the narrative. Maybe she's just sick of living in Argentina or yeah. maybe she's like, you guys are getting back too much into this violent, unpredictable lifestyle. Like she was pretty okay. much a bandit herself. So okay. who knows? She moves back to the U.S. at some point. But yeah, he's living in single cussedness. <laughs> but see. presumably he would have Sundance there hanging out with him. Mm-hmm. I guess he doesn't cook or have gossip. Well, there you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he just kind of talks about the mountains and why it's a great place to raise cattle. So he's just writing happy letters to people about, you know, I'm ranching and I'm doing this and that and I've got horses. So and sweet. He roams all around. They he, at the time he's going by George Parker, and okay. Sundance is Harry Long Longabaugh or Longabaugh. I don't know. And mm-hmm. Edda's going as Senora Longabaugh. <laughs> and <laughs> they got along pretty well for people who were kind of learning the language on the fly. Like they went to the parties in town, okay. and. Cassidy, though, was the one who had the worst time of it. He apparently just didn't pick up Spanish very well. And according to some, the problem was a stock buyer came through who had been a sheriff in Wyoming and recognized Cassidy and said, oh, I'm going to turn him in for the reward. I don't know if that happened. 
I don't think okay. it's impossible that it did well, you happen. said yeah. he has a very recognizable face. He does. So, and he's he's not really, like, laying that low. It's not like he went right. and became something completely unpredictable. Like, he's basically just doing the same shit he was doing in a slightly different location. Just 2,000 miles away and, yeah, mm-hmm. still with the same people. So if you find one, you can find them all. Yeah, that, that definitely helps. Yeah, <laughs> from what I can tell, I don't think Butch and Sundance were particularly close all their lives. But I think mm-hmm. that when the gang split up, they decided to kind of take off together. And other pairs yeah. of the gang did the same thing. Where, okay. you know, it helps to have somebody to watch your back. But yeah. these are the ones who went down there. So, anyway, there's this kind of narrative that I don't know how much to believe that basically says anytime Butch stopped being a criminal and went back to it, it's because he was forced into it. And I don't know mm. that that necessarily is the case, but I'm sure there's some people for whom that was the case over the years, right? Well, I mean, recidivism is a thing for a reason. Yeah. But you, you know the thing that you do that makes money. And yeah. so you do it when the cattle don't pan out yeah. or whatever. Yeah, he's not necessarily the best rancher, <laughs> I think. Okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's part of the problem. Maybe that's not where his passion was. He did leave doing ranching like his father for a yeah. reason, you know? Yeah, I'm sure it all sounds really good when you're, like, flush with all your money and you're buying all the cattle and then six months on and the cattle aren't really panning out and you're yeah. bored and... I don't know. But whether it was because this lawman came to the area... And he realized he couldn't go straight or he just decided not to. Okay. There are some incidents in South America that are attributed to Butch and Sundance, like I said. Mm, The most important one is in southern Bolivia on November 3rd, 1908, near San Vicente. So this is known as the Aramayo payroll job. Okay. Because... They had the savvy, right, from the trains. They knew the time to get money is not when it's already in the safe. The time to get the money is when it's going from point A to point safe. So (laughs) a lot of times what this would be would be the payroll because Mm -hmm. you would pay everybody in the mine on the same day out of the same big bag. Mm -hmm. So the Arameo Frankie and Sia silver mine was about to have payday. And there were about 15,000 Bolivian pesos coming up the mountain by mule. And the guy with the mule was attacked and robbed by two masked American bandits. Mm. Three days later, a pair of Americans are seen in the small mining town of San Vicente, where they stay in a boarding house. And the guy who owns the boarding house is suspicious. Okay. Because, according to him... They have a mule in their possession from the Aramayo mine. It has the brand on the left flank. Oh, like he gotcha. knows about the robbery. He knows that Americans did it. And he knows it was the Aramayo job. And here's an Aramayo mule. Yes. <laughs> so he's like, hmm, hmm, hmm. Contacts <laughs> the army and they send soldiers. And the lodging house on the evening of November 6th is surrounded by the soldiers. This is like the official legend story that i'm telling you now i'm gonna poke some holes in some of what i'm saying later i'll just bring that up just like in the movie like the soldiers approach the house the bandits open fire there's this big gunfight 
Then they hear somebody inside the house scream. They come inside the house and they find two bodies, both of which have been shot a lot of times. According to this version, the guy who they think is Sundance has a bullet wound in his head. And the guy they think is Cassidy has a bullet hole in his temple. So the police report speculates that probably Sundance was dying and Cassidy put him out of its misery and then killed himself. And Ah. the police say, yeah, these were the bandits. These were the guys who robbed the Aramayo payroll mule. But we don't really know who they are. We don't have, like, yeah, again, what's your social security number? Show me your driver's license. Yeah. Yeah. And they bury them in the San Vicente Cemetery. Okay. So, 22 years later, in 1930, a journalist named Arthur Chapman writes up the version of the legend that I just told you based entirely on second and third hand reports. So if you feel like going down a rabbit hole, people have worked really, really hard trying to figure out what exactly happened at San Vicente. But what we know for sure is the Bolivian army has no record of dealing with American bandits anywhere near there or any time near there. Really? And basically, most people didn't think those banditos Yankee were Butch and Sundance until this 1930 article came out. So 22 years after the fact, this journalist is like, here's what happened to those guys. And people go, oh, a lot of what he wrote is really easily debunked. Okay. Yeah. Let me find my pages here i have many books the best book of all the ones that i read here was by wc jameson it's called butch cassidy beyond the grave and Mm -hmm. he also wrote billy the kid beyond the grave which i'm also interested in but this guy is like he took this very seriously yeah he did so in back in the day back in november so the shootout happens on the 6th right okay on november 20th Carlos Perro comes to San Vicente and he's the guy who was involved with the payroll. And he's like, aha, yes, I have no doubt that these are the guys, even though all I ever saw of the guys who robbed me was their eyes. Oh, I definitely recognize them and their hats, but not their clothes. Their clothes are different, but the meal is the same. Oh, okay. Oh, great. I mean, these guys have been, like, (laughs) rotting for two weeks, and you only ever saw their eyes, and apparently they had a wardrobe change. But intriguing. But okay. Yes. That's so... I'm I'm glad that you feel really confident in this this identification, Mm -hmm. sir. But I couldn't necessarily tell you... I'm a pretty good drawer. I couldn't draw my husband from memory. Mm Mm-mm. So I'm not sure that I'm going to say that you who saw somebody's eyes once in the heat of the moment can then identify them from now a two-week-old dead body. Yeah, and here's one of the problems that comes up when you look into it later is he's like, yep, um, that's them based on their hats and the mule. And then after, after you actually dig into the records, the mule wasn't even in town anymore. So oh. what the fuck is he talking about? I yeah. don't know. I feel like he was like, those sure are two dead white boys. Like, yep. <laughs> Look at them being all dead gather. and white. 
So maybe you needed that for the insurance claim, you know, maybe you needed, I'm not sure what would, what would prompt you to, to be so firm in your assessment, uh, other than that. But I, I, you know, I don't fucking know. Yeah. Nobody fucking knows. Nobody has a very clear picture of what happened during the robbery. And one of the big questions is, okay, A of all, as we say, we've got very little (laughs) evidence that Butch and Sundance had anything to do with that robbery. Certainly it was within the kind of thing they did, but also a lot of people were like, hey, that's a good technique. I'll do that. There's only so much you can guard the payroll. I'll, I'll do it. So we have very little evidence that it was them. Then we really don't even know that the people involved in the shootout later are the mm-hmm. same guys who robbed it. Yeah. It might have been two different white yeah. bandits from America. Yeah. Why did they have an extra change of clothing? Why did they go hang out in town? <laughs> That's not what Butch ever did when they pulled off a job. They would go to a hideout. They would meet at yeah. a specific location separately. They didn't stick together and ride around and then go to a hotel. Mm-hmm. That's weird. Uh, we do know there were two other American bandits who were detained briefly by police in the area. With They were called yeah. Ray Walters and Frank Murray. We don't know if they are different guides. Are they aliases? What the fuck? Yeah. Well, and that was going to be my next question. Does, I mean, because we know that people have been coming from America to hide out in South America for yeah. centuries. That's happened for a long time. But did that was my question. Was there a big expatriate um, group there? Were there other known white folks hanging out in this area that could have committed the robbery? And it sounds like you're telling me that we know at least of a couple. Yeah, it would not be impossible, I would say. I think it was not the most common thing, but they weren't the only ones in South America who who might qualify. Okay. The whole shootout narrative of like dozens of people surrounding this place and the the guns going off for hours is maybe not so much how it happened. So the (laughs) estimates of how many people were outside range from several dozen down to two. And we don't really have a picture of, was this just like citizens? Was it police? Was it soldiers? Was it some combination? Yeah. Uh, Was it a huge shootout or was it just a couple shots and it was over in a minute? We don't know. We don't know if the guys who were in there got killed by the people shooting from outside. Did they kill each other? Did they Mm -hmm. surrender and then get shot? Or did they actually just leave? Unclear. (laughs) I will tell you. I'll skip skip ahead a little bit. That once we actually had DNA, this researcher went down there and dug them up. And no, they're not Butch and Sundance. Whoever's in those graves that they dug up, which they were reasonably confident was the graves where they put the guys from the shootout. Okay. They don't, it, it, it probably a local rancher who like, I think they said had some kind of accident. Uh, oh. it's, it's the one that they thought was Butch. Like they don't even know if 
if these guys would have been in the cemetery because according to some accounts they just like basically threw them in a hole in the ground like you're not gonna go to the trouble of making a nice grave and putting them in the cemetery when there are these guys who like put your town through all this harm and disaster supposedly they're criminals they should have paupers graves yeah yeah it's a very strange situation circling around this whole san vicente thing yeah so most people didn't think that that was butch and sundance until that article came out most people at the time didn't think that butch and sundance were dead Mm -hmm. including the pinkertons who were still looking for him or at least collecting data about him as late as 1914 gotcha okay yeah so you'd think if anybody had a reason to be like "Uh uh-huh yep he's taken care of we're not gonna worry about it then it would have been those guys but they really thought he was a going concern and somebody that they could capture yeah weird so that yeah that's my thought that was my question too was uh if there's an ongoing investigation then obviously the police or pinkertons in this case have reason to believe they're still alive yeah which further debunks the 1930s guy saying Mm -hmm. oh yeah totally i figured it out i wanted that in a nice neat little package right and it seems to be basically two Americans together who may or may not have been the same guys who robbed a mine a couple days earlier in the area got shot to death. And his story has like the full Hollywood, like, you know, major shootout and this and that. And it's like, probably it was not that many people. I don't know where this tiny, tiny town would have come up with several dozen soldiers on short notice, Yeah, but probably it was just like, some farmers or whatever. And that was certainly the yeah. kind of situation that Butch and Sundance knew how to get out of. Oh yeah. 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 That's kind of old hat to them. I can understand a couple dozen soldiers being, <laughs> you know, more than they are used to or able to get out of, but mm-hmm. just, you know, a couple rabble. Yeah. Pitchforks and guns, but also why, you know, it doesn't seem like I understand robbing 15,000 pesos is a big deal. And apparently this little donkey as well, you know, Mm -hmm. so you've got some horse wrestling going on with it. But that uh, regiment of soldiers seems like, haha, overkill for this. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of out of character stuff here Mm -hmm. that... It just all sounds so sensationalized. It's very sensationalized and a lot of it is just grafted on after the fact, which is also matches up with the fact that literally dozens of people in 1908 and later said they saw Butch and talked to him. Okay. Let me read you a few. (laughs) Yes. I was going to say, this is what I'm waiting for because this is where we get into hometown. Mm -hmm. So let's see. Actually, the very first Butch being back in the States thing happens before the San Vicente thing, which doesn't sound at first you're like, oh no. But then you're like, well, if that wasn't him, he very Mm. well may have been back in the States already. Yeah. Could have been. Yeah. So the sighting occurs in Ogden, Utah. And there's this guy who comes back into Ogden because he's going to take a train into college in Logan and he checks into a hotel and he sees a guy who looks familiar and he's like oh shit that's Butch Cassidy because this guy whose name is Pete Parker 
which is distracting and sounds like Spider-Man. It does Uh, sound like (laughs) Spider-Man. Pete Parker used to run messages between Cassidy and his lawyer, because he did have a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) So they hang out in the lobby for like 45 minutes, and Cassidy is like, oh, you know, how's your folks? How are the neighbors? Blah, blah, blah. They have. Of course he would ask all that. Of course he would. Because he cares about them all. He's a sweetie. And the next morning, the college student, this guy goes down to check out and he discovers not only has Cassidy paid his hotel bill, but he left him a package with two brand new white shirts. And in the pocket of one of the shirts is a $20 gold piece. Because apparently he looked a little busted as a college kid. Oh, Oh, busted little college kid needs some new duds. Yeah. Getting a fresh fit. Mm -hmm. He's like, aww. You look like a mess. Here you go. <laughs> I'm just going to put this here. Let's not talk about it. There's, uh-huh. there's some shirts and some cash. Go go spiff up a little. Then oh. we have this other guy who, this is sometime during 1908. There's this guy who knows him who was a friend of his in Circleville. And one thing okay. he told Lula about was when he and Butch were kids, they found a little uh, baby deer, a fawn, pinned to the ground by a log that had fallen, and his oh. leg was broken. And this guy, Gas, oh. was like, oh, we should put it out of its misery. And Butch is like, no, I think we can save it. So he actually splinted the leg, and the fawn was able to oh. walk and get better. So this oh. guy said, Cassidy couldn't kill a dog, let alone a man. Yeah, yeah. And sometime during 1908... He came back to Utah from California and he goes to Lula and he's like, I just saw your brother. We were at the train station in Los Angeles and we saw each other at the same time, but we were on different trains. So we just waved and his train pulled away (laughs) before we got to chat. But, you know, just like you say, where you're like, oh, my God, you know who I ran into from high school the other day? So he's not doing this as like a he is alive because like nobody thinks he's dead. He's just like, oh, funny story. Small world. I ran into your brother. Gotcha. Weird thing. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot of family legends and stories about Butch being around afterward. So after the movie comes out, there's this huge renewal of interest in what actually happened. And although a lot of the people who had these experiences are dead, either they've got letters or they've got diaries or they've got family around that say, hey, here's what this was like. So, one person in the 70s goes and interviews Fred Hillman, and you'll remember who Fred Hillman is when I tell you what happened, which is he was working on his father's ranch in the mountains, and a stranger walks up, and he's like, oh, weird. And the stranger's just kind of chatting with him, and he's like, I don't know this guy, what's happening? And he goes, had any (laughs) rattlesnakes come up on the hay rack with you lately? Oh, <laughs> it's Sassy Bridges. Sassy Bridges. That's so mean. I know. Mm. I know. So I could go on forever. There are so many people that are like, yeah, you know, he he came over and we had dinner. Or my grandma okay. tell, told me about a time that they were both at a Wild West show together. Or this, that, and the other. There's somebody who actually has this story, which blows my mind, of Cassidy getting pulled over for running a stop sign in his car. 
Isn't it weird <laughs> to think of Butch Cassidy in a car? Driving, I don't actually like that. Yeah. I, I'd rather that not be true. It's He's really not unsettling. supposed to. <laughs> I mean, it's stuff like that where you think like Wyatt Earp died in the, I don't remember if it was 1920s or 1930s. And you're like, no, you were 1880s or before. Yeah. I don't put you at all in the 20th century. He died like Stop. super late. I'm trying to remember, but it was like, yeah. Okay. 1929. So like, yeah, Tom Mix was his pallbearer. <laughs> Who's Tom Mix? Uh, he's I want to just actor. be like, oh. Gotcha. I want to be like, oh, yeah, but I, it'll just come off as fake. I don't fucking know anybody. That's cool. But no, here, here's, here's an example of how close to us all this is, which is when they were making the movie, Lula went on set and Butch Cassidy Ugh. was being played by Paul Newman. And Paul Newman came up and he said, hello there, I'm Butch. And she said, hi, Butch, I'm your sister. So <laughs> Tom Newman is playing this character who still has living family around. That's so weird. Yeah, but okay. Let me read you though from Lula's book. But yeah, there's there's just literally dozens of people who had, do not have any reputation as being bullshitters. They're not yeah. people who, you know, sometimes you do encounter people who just have a hand in every story and Anything that happens, it happened to them. And it was their cousin yeah. who, you know, I don't know, had spiders live in their face. And their mom delivered Lamangelo yeah. and Orangelo at the hospital. And you're like, wow, every exactly. urban legend happened to your family. Amazing. But Wow, wonderful. Tons, tons, tons of people said they saw Butch after he when should they- have been dead, according to this one story. Including Lula. They have nothing to gain. They have nothing to gain. By... Yeah, because as you're saying, like it's it's before this story comes out even necessarily. Yeah. So there's no there's no sensationalism. There's no uh, frisson mm-hmm. of of this glamour by association or anything. It's just a thing. Like you said, I ran into Amber from high school the other day, and I'm just going to tell you as a throwaway. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it takes on more meaning later when they realize that people thought that he was dead. If it's like you know, the Mm -hmm. 30s, and they're like, oh, shit, he was supposedly Mm -hmm. dead. Well, we know he wasn't dead. But let me tell you about Lula's book. So (laughs) I made the mistake with Lula, like reading her whole book. And like the first 80% is the same as all of them, which is going through like all the stuff I told you about. Here's how Butch lived when he was young. And here's all the stuff. So here's what Lula says. One day in 1925, I know it was in the fall just before school started. Excuse me. Some of my brothers were out on the range with the stock. My brother Mark was fixing the fence at the ranch when a new black Ford drove up and a man got out. Mark looked up and surmised it was a cousin, Fred Levi. The Levi boys were cattle buyers and Mark supposed he was coming for that purpose. The man walked across the field toward Mark. As he came near, his face broke into a characteristic Parker grin. At first, Mark was puzzled. He studied the face and suddenly realized it could be but one person, Bob Parker a.k.a., you know, Robert Leroy Parker, Butch. After mm-hmm. a few moments visiting, the two climbed into the shiny car and drove to the brick house in town. Bob didn't know the family had moved into town, so naturally he went straight to the ranch because that was home to him. Fair enough. Aww. Dad, 81, yeah. so Butch's mother had passed at this point. Dad, 81, okay. was sitting on the step by the kitchen door of the brick house, enjoying the shade and the late afternoon calm. His hair was white and he wore a thick white mustache. He was a fine-looking man, straight and alert, and as always dressed immaculately. The flashy car drove into the yard and Mark stepped out. 
Dad was surprised that morning Mark had left on horseback headed for the ranch. Rather slowly, the driver slipped out on the left side of the car and straightened up. At first, Dad wondered who it was. Bob's face for once was solemn. Perhaps he wondered how he would be accepted. The screen door to the kitchen was open behind Dad's back. Bob took off his hat and twirled it through the door. It landed squarely on the post of the rocking chair inside. Then he grinned that unmistakable grin. Dad knew him. No one could ever describe that meeting after all the years of uncertainty and separation, 41 years. That reunion proved the strength of Dad's heart. He survived it. Minutes later, my brother Mark appeared at my kitchen door and said, Lula, we've got company. Dad wants you to come down and fix supper. So I'll kind of skip ahead because she's giving a lot of detail. And, you know, of course, she doesn't know who it is. And she sees this stranger in her house. And she's like, this is very strange. Like, he looks familiar, but I don't know him. What the hell? She doesn't say what the hell. She's a good old Mormon girl. But her father (laughs) smiles at her and he says, I bet you don't know who this is. Lula, this is Leroy. And her jaw drops and her knees feel like rubber and she's so excited. And so she, let's see, she was very specific. She says, I fried lamb chops and fixed mashed potatoes topped with chunks of fresh homemade butter and vegetables right out of the garden. And I brought the homemade bread. And apparently he said, Lula, your bread is as good as Ma's. And that cracks me up because that's completely the kind of thing that you remember for you that no one else is going to be like, that's what he said. You're like, oh, he said Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he stays the night. He he's kind of getting reoriented. Like he doesn't know everybody's nicknames. And mostly, according to Lula, what he wants to talk about is his mother, because he knew he broke her heart. He wants to he wanted to come home, he said, but his pride wouldn't let him. And he didn't want to embarrass his family, because, of course, it's easy for us to be like, yeah, cowboy and outlaw. How exciting. But if you think yeah. of like if your cousin today was a bank robber, it, you wouldn't yeah. be like, wow, thrilling. You might be like, oh, that's kind of interesting, yeah. but you wouldn't yeah. necessarily be proud. And at least he didn't like yeah. take their name and make it infamous. But, you know, they're a mm-hmm. good law abiding family and that's uncomfortable. <sighs> so, mm-hmm. oh, man, he, he, he apparently kept steering the conversation back to his mother. He couldn't hear enough about her, but he asked about every man or every member of the family and what they were doing and what the kids were like and did they get married. And he tells them about his friends in South America and his life down there. So he talks about traveling even in Europe for some reason. Oh. I don't know if that's verified anywhere else, but according to Lula, that's what he said. And uh, he... So according to him, he and Sundance didn't come back to the States together. They separated because obviously like two of them together is much more identifiable than just one person moving by themselves. And he actually travels with uh, a young son of a woman who's a native of, where's he living at this point? It's like someplace in South America. I can't remember. But uh, it was Bolivia at one point, yeah, but it could yeah. be anywhere, I suppose. But the son goes with him for a while, for a couple weeks, because he's like, oh, actually, you know, this kid is going to be able to translate for me. And it's going to, you know, people okay. aren't looking for a guy with a kid. 
So they hang for out sure. for a couple weeks. He gives him new clothes and money and sends him home. And <laughs> of course. I love it that his dad says, by gum, you always were taken with the kids. Never got over it. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And apparently, according to Lula, what Bob said is that he told this kid, never get off the straight and narrow. My life has been wasted. I My life is not exciting and thrilling. My, my life is a waste. I paid the price. Okay. Like, this is terrible. So there's a lot of stuff in here where I'm like, if humans talk like that, I haven't met them. I'm no ghost, no angel either. <laughs> You're like, okay, sure. A lot of people uh, are saying like, buy gum in here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And let's see. Ah, uh, yes. Most of my old cronies have met early violent deaths. It's no good. Even though I've been lucky enough to survive, let me tell you it's true. Crime's no good. I I tried to justify (laughs) my crimes by my bitterness against the big moneyed thieves, but I was only fooling myself. You have to live with your conscience and it catches up with you. Even a battered one does. Okay. That sounds like Lula proselytizing. Yeah. Like that sounds like an agenda being shoehorned into this shit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sounds very like here's the end of this morality play and the character is going to hold his hat over his heart and speak straight out to the audience about crime doesn't pay and my life was wasted and all the exciting shit that you've been enjoying up to this point you i'm not actually promoting let me tell you that i'm sad i (laughs) a man with a megaphone will show temperance (laughs) to the audience and the lights will go down yeah it's like the the brief period where they were getting the haze code installed and they had all these movies that were already in production so everybody just does the same horrible raunchy shit they were going to do the whole time but then they die at the end just (laughs) to be like haha they take that (laughs) <laughs> yeah so he he tells the story about the mortgage and like ripping off the mortgage guy and he tells more stories about like you know the time butch cassidy made christmas for this poor family and da 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 da, da. Mm-hmm. and there's a lot of stuff in there that i'm like this is just weird it's it doesn't add up to me that yeah. That Butch would come home and spend his whole time telling stories about himself that are yeah. largely legendary, especially given yeah. that what he's also saying in this long chapter is you're not supposed to toot your own horn. Yeah. Yeah. That seems very weird. Like everybody's speaking in complete paragraphs of dialect and. Mm-hmm. At least some of it, though, mm-hmm. is his family saying, did you do this thing with a mortgage? Did you put on a, a soldier's uniform to escape Bolivia? And what he does say to that okay. one is, no, but sometimes if people think that's what happened, I agree with it. <laughs> like, okay, that's pretty good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like some Pondere Paddler shit of like... Does, yeah, right. definitely. Like, if, <laughs> let's go for it. I'm not going to deny mm-hmm. it. Close enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So according to him, he also went and prospecting in Alaska, which we know Wyatt Earp also did. Jesus. Yeah, but didn't like it. He's like, it's too cold and people are dishonest and I'm not a fan. So I came home to the Northwest and his yeah. dad's like, Leroy, come home. And he's like, no, I don't I don't really belong here anymore. But I wanted to see. Okay. You. So they leave. And from what Lula says 
According to her, Robert Leroy Parker died in the Northwest in the fall of 1937, a year before dad, you know, her father died. She would not give any more clues about this. So when she releases her book, it's 1975, right? So there's this big thing happening where everybody's interested in what's happening to Butch and what happened. And it's exciting that his little sister's still alive and thrilling. But she says, I'm really concerned that if you find out where he's buried, you're going to dig him up and bother him and disrupt the little bit of peace that he has after his his demise, you know? So they had a hard time in his family in the seventies because there's this Butch Cassidy fever and what used to be just their ranch, all of a sudden, like people are showing up whenever they're not there and stealing shit. And oh, destroying it and like basically grabbing so whatever whatever souvenirs. And even yeah. <laughs> her son uh, back at the ranch who took it over, you know, as the next generation, mm-hmm. hired a guy to do some leveling out at the ranch. And sometime previously, he had buried his old dog. Uh, again, I will name the dog. The dog was named Hummerdew which is great. <laughs> Hummerdoo. What the? I don't know. Hummerdoo. Hummerdoo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Named by a child, obviously. Uh, but So he's like, don't, don't mess it up over there. Like, don't level that dirt. Uh, I, there's a grave there that I don't want disturbed. And of course, the next yeah. day, everybody's like, oh, shit, that's where Butch Cassidy is buried. And it's like, God damn no, it. that's where Hummerdew is buried. Yeah, does Hummerdew like, leave him alone, dog. asshole? Yeah, but Aww. it's it's stressful for them because well, yeah. it also brings up a lot of conflict between Lula and her family because there's still people who are embarrassed by this and don't like yeah. this connection and, and are like, no, he's yeah. dead. He never came to see us. This never happened. And of course, by the yeah. 70s, Lula is one of the few left from any of the stories that could have verified that. Like, her dad's mm-hmm. not around anymore. The brother who drove him isn't around anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, she's like, I'm not going to tell you what happened to him and any more okay. than he died in the Northwest in 1937 because I don't want you to mess with him. And, in fact, okay. so I told you about the San Vicente graves and how they dug those guys up. Well, before they we did, had yeah. DNA, they did all kinds of stuff about, like... They dug them up in the 70s, basically trying to figure out, could this be them? Are they the right height? And they did all kinds of stuff, which I don't like as forensics. Like, let me, you know, take a picture of him in life and put it over this skull and see if it fits. And it's like, that's, that's for crap. What are you doing? Yeah, right. (sighs) Right. That doesn't work, guys. That doesn't work at all. Like kind of medieval anyway. Forensic files. Uh, Okay. (laughs) So. The other thing that Lula says, which made this even more of a rabbit hole than it already was, is she said, Leroy was not the man who was known as William Phillips. So, William T. Phillips and the Bandit Invincible. William T. Phillips was the Spokane guy. He is best remembered for writing a manuscript that's called The Bandit Invincible, which I love as a title. Yeah. That's really solid. It is a great title. Yeah. 
it's largely unpublished. Like some of the books I have replicate parts of it, but it's very, um, it reads like somebody who didn't go to school very long. I'll put it like that. Gotcha. So Phillips says, I'm not Butch Cassidy, but I did know Butch Cassidy ever since he was a kid. And he has this really, really long manuscript that this guy whose name was, where is it, Larry Pointer, examined in this book called In Search of Butch Cassidy. And Larry was... Larry went hardcore rabbit hole before there was an internet to rabbit hole. And he would Good do job, things like, well, put it this way. Do you remember like in the early days of the internet with chat rooms where somebody would be like, I'm such and such famous person. And you'd be yes. like, Oh shit, how do we prove it? And you're like, well, either I can ask you something that nobody knows in which case I don't know if you're telling the truth or I can ask you mm-hmm. something I can verify from like a newspaper article In which case, you could have just read the same newspaper article. Uh That's very confusing. So Very confusing, indeed. (laughs) So part of the problem with the Bandit Invincible manuscript is Phillips has changed names of some of the people. Because some of them, when he wrote it, were still alive. But Larry goes through everything, every single tiny detail, and says, other than the stuff that has been changed to protect identities there's stuff in here that if butch is not the person writing this it was somebody who was there with him because there will be details like he'll refer to like a specific saloon that was in a specific town in 1890 that's on like it's in no other butch cassidy book it's in no other resource but when Larry goes to this town and goes back through a million historical records, he'll find like a picture of the saloon in the background of a picture about something else. And he's like, Oh "Oh, shit. So either the person who wrote this manuscript went to all that trouble to include this very specific detail that is not referenced anywhere else or whoever wrote this manuscript really was there in 1890. There's a lot of cases like that where they'll describe, you know, a certain camp or he at one point talks about a couple law enforcement officers and names them. And Larry was like, who are these guys? Like, these guys have not come up in any other thing I've ever read about Butch Cassidy. But then he, you know, sat down with all the records and the archives and the genealogy and found out, oh, there actually were two law enforcement officers by those names at this time working in this region. We just never had any record that they interacted with Butch. So they've never been part of the story. So, okay. (sighs) Let me tell you about William. And this is the last part. But Lula said Butch is not William. Yeah. I'm going to, we'll do do some theory crafting about this. Okay. Okay. I'm trying so hard to keep all these names straight. I know. Dizzying. I don't know how you did this. Yes. So, like I said, my favorite book about this was Butch Cassidy Beyond the Grave. And I went to go thank this guy on Twitter for writing such a coherent, well-organized thing. And he's not on Twitter, but he has written like hundreds of books. And you can hire him to speak about songwriting, writing, or treasure hunting. 
And I'm like, I um, like your deal, sir. He looks kind of like, who's that actor that was in the big Lebowski? Like that, that quintessential Western actor, Sam Elliott. Sam yeah, Elliott. This guy kind of looks Thank like you. Sam Elliott. And he really dug into saying, okay, what do we know? How do we know it? He synthesizes the book that was called Digging Up Butch and Sundance about Digging yeah. Up Butch and Sundance. And he also <laughs> talks about the other stories in this area and basically not just what do we know and when did we know it, but how has it changed over time based on who says what. So okay. let me find my William T. Phillips chapter. Here we go. Because I'm very interested in this person. Whether or not he was Butch, he sounds like an interesting character. So okay. the last time Butch is officially on the record heard from was on February 16th, 1908. The first time William T. Phillips is officially heard from is three months later. Interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Many people who encountered Butch in the U.S. after he was allegedly killed in Bolivia say that that was an alias he did use. So you're left okay. with a lot of weird questions. Who the hell is this guy? If he's yeah. not Butch, why did he pop into existence three months after Butch disappeared? Right. Well, fortunately, Larry Pointer and Jim Delenti, who used to work for the spokesman, dug in on this because they got... A family story. <laughs> so Pointer got into this because he was at a wedding party with a guy who was a grandson of one of Butch's sweethearts. And this guy was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Cassidy came back during the 30s. He came to Lander all the time. He visited his old sweetheart. He gave her this ring, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, intriguing. That is not what I thought. Yes. So they start working together to investigate the possibility of Butch actually being William T. Phillips and trying to kind of conceal his identity because by the time he writes this in the thirties, it's the great depression. Like he's not doing well financially. Okay. He needs the book deal, which is why he writes it in the first place. He can't make a sale on it because among other things, it contradicts what people <laughs> think happened and also yeah. is written for crap. It's kind of hard to read. It's, mm -hmm. it's not written like an author would write it or like somebody who reads a lot would write it. Like there's a lot of like jumping back and forth and basically all the stuff I try not to do when I'm telling you a very complicated story, but you yeah, know how yeah. it is like characters pop up where you're like, wait, who's this guy? You never introduced this person. And I don't know. He moved to Spokane okay. in late December, 1910. And he visited Various friends, including members of the Wild Bunch, apparently. Oh. And he took a job with Washington Water Power Company, which is now known as Avista. Yeah. And what cracked me up about this is I got all these books from the Spokane Public Library. And when he went to go get this job, they said, well, you have to know trigonometry. And he's like, for sure. And went to the <laughs> library for a solid week and taught himself trigonometry out of library books. No way. I love that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So he was involved with a couple different businesses. He Phillips did go up and prospect in Alaska and then come back, which, as we know, is something that, according to Lula, yeah. Butch later said, yeah, I did that. Yeah, so, it was too cold, but he tried it. Mm-hmm, he tried. And then he comes back to Spokane and he starts the Phillip Manufacturing Company, which 
makes adding machines, apparently. Okay. He was kind of an inventor. And what cracks me up is he then, in 1925, the, this is a great name, the Riblet Tramway Company. <laughs> Riblet, I don't know. Riblet. It makes me think of the McRib. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it's probably just a name. I guess. William and Gertrude couldn't have kids, so they adopted a kid in 1919 named William Richard, and they called him Billy, okay. which is cute. So they adopted him, but then, yeah, it's 1925, he's six. The Riblet Tramway Company <clears throat> says, hey, William, can you go down to Bolivia and help <clears throat> us construct a tramway? And he says no, but he actually tells his family that he's going to South America but instead goes to Wyoming and Utah. And as you may recall, 1925 is the year that Butch shows up, according to Lula, and yeah. visits his relatives. And yeah. a lot of other folks said they, they met Butch or they saw Butch in 1925 in that area. That's right. mm -hmm. So the whole Bolivia angle of the 1925 thing is confusing to me. And I think it just may be a coincidence that makes life more complicated. Okay. The fact that Butch was in Bolivia, Butch was in the American West. Phillips is asked to go to Bolivia, but instead tours around the American West. Okay. I don't know why he lied to his family about this yeah i don't know why he would do that but anyway the great depression is coming he comes back to spokane great depression okay. is on its way he ends up selling out parts of his business over the years okay so by may 1930 he is pretty broke and he sold his business to his employees and he goes back to wyoming to look for hidden money that oh. Butch had buried many years earlier. As far as we know, he never found any because when he comes back to Spokane, he's still broke. He works odd jobs. He moves out of his fancy house into his less fancy house. Okay. In 1934, he goes to Wyoming. And okay. he's going with Ellen Harris and her son, Ben Fitzharris. So okay. Ben, later in life, is like, yeah, my parents definitely told me that this was Butch Cassidy. So they were friends in Spokane, and they go vacation together. During this trip is when they say, you should write down the story of your life. Mm. And he starts writing this manuscript. He dies okay. in... So he did die in 1937. So they found okay. the manuscript after he died. Let me tell you a little bit about where he was at in Spokane because I actually mm. these houses are still there oh where yes is it so you can see various pictures that I'll share with you of like here's the Phillips manufacturing company here he is in the machine shop he had oh, a business cool. on Monroe he had a business on Sprague his nice house was at West 1001 Providence in Spokane and then okay. when they got a little more broke, they moved <laughs> not far from me, actually, but basically up past Corbin Park. They got a, a slightly smaller, oh. you know, one of the million houses from the 1930s that's yeah, kicking exactly. around in Spokane. So <laughs> the last years of Philip's life were kind of sad. 
she still was writing a lot of letters and he couldn't dig up the money. One of the things that he said was the whole land has changed. So Mm -hmm. it sounds like there was a local legend that Cassidy had buried some of the loot at the base of an old tree and Phillips did go wander around looking in there and he said, oh, the country has shifted. Like, it's it's okay. not the way it used to be. So it sounds yes. like he may have gone looking either for money that Butch buried or if he is Butch for money he himself buried. And he's like, yeah. oh, shit, this looks really different. <laughs> this does yeah. not look like what I thought. It was very clear in my head where I left this. <laughs> and I don't know where this tree is anymore. I can't believe a tree is gone or different or bigger. <laughs> I always wondered that about the... Uh... <laughs> about the um, Shawshank Redemption. How the fuck mm. did you know that they didn't buy that land and develop it? Yeah. You've been in prison a, for 20 years. That's a big jump. A lot of things can change. Yeah. I don't know. <sighs> so, according to Larry Pointer, Phillips writes his manuscript. He can't get any traction for it. Everybody's like, no, 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 I'm not interested in this. And okay. he goes back to crime. And the crime that's very popular in the 30s is kidnapping. So we've had like the Lindbergh kidnapping, oh, the Weyerhaeuser yeah. kidnapping that I'll tell you about at some point. There's a lot of kidnappings in the news. And according to one resource, what Phillips comes up with is I'm going to kidnap a rich guy and get ransom. And the only Ooh. rich guy who's really left in Spokane at this point is William Hutchinson Coles of the Coles oh, family. Of the Coles who, family. Who on the Spokesman Review, still, to this yeah. day. Thanks for endorsing Kathy McMorris Rogers, you quizzling fucks. Yeah, um, you dick. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to edit that. Quizzling um, fucks, I love you. <laughs> so, you know, Phillips is 69. He's broke. He's dying of cancer. And he goes, okay. here's what we're going to do. He comes up with this plan where he is going to kidnap Coles, hold him for ransom, hide him in a wooded area near the Little Spokane River. Mm-hmm. And I've already bribed somebody to be my alibi. And this is going to be great. Okay. And this is a lot of this is coming from young Billy, who's explaining, like, here's what happened later. And then other employees of his remember, you know, he approached my dad and said, hey, you should come help me out. So Phillips said, I'm gonna go do this. I'm this is my plan. Okay. (laughs) This is not a good plan. This is not a good plan. No, he disappears for a couple days. He comes okay. back. Nothing has happened to Coles and his employee oh. is like, how was the prospecting? And he just glares at him and they never bring it up again. Oh, so there was also no. a very strange incident, according to young Billy, that in 1935, William T. Phillips has been drinking. He takes Gertrude and Billy to Newman Lake late at night, has a gun okay. in his hand. Backs them out the door to the end of the dock and says he's going to shoot them. But fortunately, someone comes along just randomly in a car with headlights on and they flash on the beach. And he turns to look back to see who it is. Gertrude grabs the gun and they're safe. So he is sad. He is writing these depressed letters to people. 
he's writing depressed letters to people that Butch knew and signing them under the names that they knew him as, like George or whoever. Okay. He's, yeah. he's really talking consistently like this is his life that he's relating to, but okay. he's not doing well. So he basically gets ditched by his wife and she's Ooh. working at Opportunity Elementary in the Valley. Okay. He's a clerk and a librarian. And she doesn't have it in her to look after him, especially given like this whole gun situation, this kidnapping. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, fuck you. I don't care if you got a splinter. I'm not helping you. <laughs> exactly. I don't yeah. have time for this. Oh, yeah. that's what it I'm is. Cool. It, it, Thanks. 828 Glass was his smaller place. But okay. he's writing letters. And there's actually a letter that we have where he's writing to this woman named Mary and he's like, Oh God, no, you shouldn't have put 828 glass on there. That's where my wife lives. So like, I haven't seen that in a while. <laughs> I didn't get this letter very fast, but I'm going to send you this ring. And I'm at a private sanitarium at 123 North cook street in Spokane. And this one oh. ends with best wishes to all my old friends, but don't ask me to write or you will only get your feelings hurt. So his friends reported to Bill Lundstrom, who's sort of a friend of the family. Bill Phillips said to tell Bill Lundstrom to come and get me out of this goddamn place or I'll jump out the window. When they show up at the nursing home, he's up in the attic. It's hot. It's terrible. There's one tiny window. It smells bad. Like he's soiling himself. Nobody's taking good care of him. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they they get an ambulance and they move him to the poor farm. Because apparently what his wife was paying for was shittier than what was available for free, which is wild. But at Broadacres in Spangle, they actually look after him for 10 days and then he passes away. Oh, only makes it that long, huh? 10 days in the nice place. I went into this thinking that it was going to be, was Butch Cassidy the same person as William T. Phillips? And really, we have a lot of mysteries, right? So... The the guy who wrote the book I liked, W.C. Jameson, the Sam Elliott guy, yeah, wrote a couple theories out because he's a very organized okay. thinker and I liked this. He's like, okay, it seems pretty clear that we cannot definitively say Butch and Sundance died in Bolivia in 1908. Yes. Right? Like there's okay. very little evidence of that. I'm with them on that. Yes. If he didn't die, somebody was kicking around the U.S. for a good few years that people believed was Butch. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple possibilities. One is that he did live and was not terribly concerned about hiding his identity because he just kept Mm -hmm. using the old, you know, everybody loves me and I take care of them. Nobody's going to turn me in approach. Yeah. There's the approach that Every one of these people decided to lie separately about Mm -hmm. this in a way that holds up consistently. And Mm -hmm. although that's not impossible, that would either take a conspiracy or that's a lot of people who suddenly turned into, yeah, me too, I was there out of nowhere and never did it again. Or the third possibility is that there was an impersonator or more than one who looked yes. enough like Butch 
and or knew enough about Butch's life to convince people who knew Butch that he was Butch a few Mm -hmm. years or decades on, Mm -hmm. but was not actually Butch. I think, well, I don't know. You tell me, like, does one of those sound more plausible to you? Uh, The one that sounds the most plausible to me is the, it was Butch and he just kept doing the like, people aren't going to turn me in Uh, Mm -hmm. because that one sounds easy. I mean, I, I don't, it sounds like uh, I'm I'm going to throw out the died in Bolivia theory because you've yeah debunked that enough for me uh, just in this little bit and then the little bit that I've read online otherwise about Butch Cassidy that was never uh, a theory that I really thought cottoned. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's like why would all these people lie all of a sudden yeah. and in mass that just doesn't make sense to me. Um, right? No, I want. Uh, what do you think? I don't think that a bunch of people would have come up with stories that hang together in a timeline like this independently. Yeah. Like it's one thing. I mean, we know eyewitness accounts can be really unreliable. And certainly there's a lot of people who would take a legend that like in its first iteration was pretty modest. And then by the time it's been passed down as family lore, all of a sudden it's not a bandit. It's Butch Cassidy. And all it takes is one person modifying it as they remember it and they're like no my grandfather would never have lied it's like well your grandfather didn't lie you just remembered it weird but the fact that they do it in a way that checks out in terms of you know he he remembers stuff about them and it's in line with when we know phillips has left spokane and is driving around in wyoming and utah is when he starts visiting people in wyoming and utah I I wish Phillips, I want Phillips not to be Cassidy because it makes me so sad that he was so cruel at the end of his life. I I can't reconcile to myself how somebody who loved kids so much could be so cruel. And in one of the other books, it talks about basically Billy was a little slow, like not he he probably had some kind of learning disability so yeah. he would get there but he wasn't the kind of like super bright charming yeah. precocious kid that just wins yeah. you over the minute you meet him so he sounds like he was pretty much a jerk to yeah. to his kid and that breaks my heart yeah and that's really yeah in the end gertrude said he wasn't butch but also she hated his ass. So she, yeah, right. we have this very confusing situation where the son yeah. is saying it was, the wife is saying it wasn't. Then mm-hmm. Lula says, yes, he did live, but he wasn't William T. Phillips. And then her yeah. son later says, he didn't live. He didn't come back, talk to my family at all. Lula's yeah. wrong. She's making it up or she's misremembering or she's confused yeah. or the the co-author who helped her just led her to say all this stuff because she's an old lady yeah. and she doesn't know any better and she likes being a part of something. Yeah. So even within the same family, people aren't on the same page about who he is. And for that matter, exasperatingly, Larry Pointer came out with another book later that says no. Phillips wasn't. So in the book In Search of Butch Cassidy, he says, 
Robert Leroy Parker became William T. Phillips and lived and died in Spokane, Washington. And then later he came out with another book, which cost $300. So I did not read it where he basically (laughs) dug more into a fuller version of the manuscript. And his theory now is that he was William Wilcox, who was a wild bunch guy who was with Butch through a lot of the stuff where the verifiable details come through and that he may have taken on some of Butch's identity later in life because that's kind of sexier and more dramatic than just being somebody who doesn't have a cool name like Butch Cassidy. Yeah. To me, I don't know why you would. Well, okay. Here's, here's, the way that I can parse this for myself. Okay. You either have Butch Cassidy going around visiting old friends and family when he gets the chance, or you have somebody who for no perceptible reason decides to go interact in 1925 with dozens of people who knew Butch Cassidy and try out his Butch Cassidy impression on them. Yeah. Yeah. That is a weird move. You don't try to spend a ton yeah. of time with surviving family and this and yeah. that. You know, that's weird. And I do understand, you know, Lula, by her own admission, wouldn't have known what Butch looked like. You know, she had mm-hmm. to have her dad say, that's Leroy. Because when he yeah. left and the dog tried to chase him and he had the horse and everything, she was a baby. She was just the little right. baby in the cradle. She doesn't have any memory of him. Yeah. But on the other hand, if Butch became William T. Phillips and was trying to make some money with this poorly written manuscript, why -hmm. would he not come out all the way? Like, isn't there surely some kind of statute of limitations in the 30s (laughs) where he's like, you know, the places that he committed these crimes are states now. Everyone who's been affected mm-hmm. has been over it for decades, presumably. Mm-hmm. Why didn't he come out all the way and say, I am Butch Cassidy. I can prove right. it. And I want to sell you my autobiography. Why did right. he do this weird, I'm asking for a friend kind of thing? Uh, yeah. That's yeah. also strange. And it seems uncharacteristic that he would get into a job that has nothing to do with anything he's done before. You know, he's working with machines. He marries somebody he doesn't love and, or doesn't get along with at least. And it has a kid that he's crappy to. I don't know. Sometimes it's just that where the lens turns on a certain person in their life can look very different, even though they're the same person, but that it would be easier if, it was the butch that we expect. It would be easier to yeah. say this makes sense as, as William T. Phillips being butch if it was somebody acting like butch acted. And I mean, people change yeah, exactly. as they get older or they have head injuries or they get depressed or just yeah. life beats them down when they're not getting to reset everything every six months and ride off on a horse with 30 grand in their pocket. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I yeah, just yeah. don't know. But that's such a change, such a departure mm-hmm. from everything that he had been to that point. Yeah. It's... Is it... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I the problem here is that Billy was adopted and Phillips was cremated. So we cannot take oh, DNA to this case. You can't. 
And uh, I meant to ask you that earlier. How did they do DNA testing on the two bodies down in Bolivia? Was it with With uh, Lula's? Yeah. Are there any conspiracy theories that uh, that say that Sundance was perhaps, uh, I'm getting the names mixed up, the uh, Spokane man? Phillips, yeah. Phillips, Oh, that Sundance became Phillips? Yeah. No, I don't remember anything like that. I think they were physically fairly different. Like Sundance Mm. was a fair bit younger, as I recall, and smaller. Mm -hmm. Whereas Butch was, you know, very distinctively stocky and had that big old Lego minifig head. Yeah, right. Uh, (laughs) There's a real tradition. And there's the reason why Jameson can have a whole series of Butch Cassidy beyond the grave, Billy the Kid beyond the grave, da 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 da. Yeah. Is it's very common for people in their old age to start pretending that they are these heroes because yeah. the overlap between what could have been the natural lifespan of somebody like Butch or Billy the Kid or the Sundance Kid overlaps with movies. And radio and the lionization of these outlaws and this era that was very brief and mostly imaginary. But, you know, there there were at least two fake Billy the Kids running around, I think. There were certainly fake... There was a fake Calamity Jane daughter who claimed to be the daughter of Jane and Billy or Jane and Wild Bill. I might do that as a story at some point because she was from Montana. Ooh, I'd listen to that. There was not a fake Wyatt Earp that I know of, but it's just because Josie Earp was so young when she married him that she basically yeah. stage managed his whole legend yeah. all along anyway. So yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she was a little too rowdy for that. She yeah, yeah. exactly. She wouldn't let that get away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I genuinely don't know, and I don't know that we're ever going to know. I'm definitely mm-hmm. going to go look at those properties. I'm definitely going to wander yes. around and try to dig more into newspapers and all of this. I am baffled. And like I said, it's a fascinating rabbit hole. Three books that I've got here that I would recommend to varying degrees are, so the best one, I think, is W.C. Jameson, Butch Cassidy, Beyond the Grave. Like, legit historian okay. breaks it down. What do we know? Why do we know it? What are the theories? What's a parsimonious okay. explanation for the data that we have? In okay. Search of Butch Cassidy is Interesting by Larry Pointer. It's biased. And he himself yeah, went yeah. back to the well and came out with a totally different book Supporting a totally different theory, but it's interesting because it's a lot of detail about Phillips because Larry's writing in the seventies. So he's talking to like Phillips kid. He's talking to little Billy and he's talking to Lula and he's talking to these folks. And then Butch Cassidy, my brother by Lula is, I read chunks of it. It's a little saccharine, but it's also Mm -hmm. kind of a cute picture of a frontier family. Because that's mostly what she writes about, as you know. And then I got married. And then, you know, my sister had this baby and blah, 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 blah. And most of her experience of having Leroy in her life is her family just reading these newspapers and stressing out about what's happening with him. Yeah. Yeah. And And you said a lot of the the details that she adds are are very homey. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that further supports this, like, it's a frontier life 
biopic. Yeah, she, she's uh, very into like, bits of him. I made this kind of pie with this kind of berries and I cooked him fried lamb chops and do 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 do. Yeah. And I'm like, that's cute. And yeah. it's an interesting read, but is not as insightful. But I, I right. don't know that there are this many cases. I don't know that in the broad scheme of you know oh i'm actually anastasia and oh i'm you know the lost dauphin and i'm this and that yeah that we've had a case where there are this many family members weighing in in this many directions that blows my mind the fact that philip's wife says no philip's son says yes butch's sister says yes and butch's nephew says no what the hell i don't know what to make of that uh, yeah yeah and phillips himself said no yeah or didn't say one way or Mm -hmm. the other but called himself phillips and not directly yeah phillips never uh, said that he was butch he said he was a friend of butch's from childhood which wilcox would not have been as i understand it there really wasn't Mm -hmm. you know he didn't have a lot of friends when he was a kid he had siblings (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was to say, you, you're on the farm taking care of your kids. What mm-hmm. friends? One thread that I want to pull on a little, and probably it's not going to go very far, but one of these books did mention that one of Butch's brothers did have a brief stint as an outlaw, but then, oh. you know, immediately got busted, immediately went to jail, and immediately was like, gotcha. oh, this is not the life for me. But <laughs> I'm not good at this. <laughs> but I would say, I'm sure this has been such a hot topic for so long that I'm sure people have looked into that. But that would explain a lot if it was yeah. not Butch, but it was his brother who knew right. Butch well and maybe even rode with him sometimes. Then, of course, it explains right. why the hell he looks so much like him. Because this dude is a fucking right. dead ringer. Let me send you a picture, actually. Oh, is he? Yeah. Okay, yeah, please. Yeah. And I'll put these up on I the guess. social. Oh, yeah. Part of the whole story of Phillips or of Cassidy coming back is some people say that he got plastic surgery in Paris. And I think that sounds to me like a story that got grafted on during the 70s, because during the 70s, they were doing that old, like, photography analysis, looking at pictures of Phillips and pictures of Butch, and claiming, oh, the hairline is different and the ears are different. Like, every pseudoscience has gotten its hands on this, including they had a book, or no, they had a a letter from Phillips and a letter from Cassidy and somebody was like, Oh yeah, definitely the same guy. But this wasn't a handwriting analyst. Like forensically, it was a graphologist, which is the person who tells you what your personality is from handwriting. Similarly, when they got somebody to compare the pictures, they didn't get somebody who did that. Like for the FBI, they got somebody who just kind of made up their own version and didn't use any of the things that you would expect to compare that you would okay so here i'm gonna send you the first one so the first picture i'm gonna send you is good old leroy is butch okay the second picture i'm gonna send you yeah look at his little squish face (laughs) oh these gentlemen have very similar faces i can see it you can see it right like it's not yeah they do look very similar. But you know what threw yeah. me is... I'm going to send you one more picture. 
Okay. How the hell does little Billy look so damn much like him? Maybe square heads are just a thing. Okay, it's sending. Maybe square heads Let's were see, there's everyone with a square head. You know, I can't tell. Ooh, look at that square-faced little fucker. Yeah, I was like, look oh it, my god, this kid is a dead ringer for Butch. And then I read it, and I'm like, that's not even supposed to be his kid. Who the hell kid is this? Right? Where'd this kid come from? Right? Why does he look like right? tiny Butch Cassidy? <laughs> he does look like, he definitely looks like tiny Phillips for being an adopted kiddo. I know, but it wasn't unheard and... of to have a kid out of wedlock, dump him at the orphanage, get married and go and adopt him. But I don't know if the timing makes any sense for that to happen. Gotcha. Okay. I don't know. He's okay. not around anymore. Billy has since passed, I believe. Phillips and Billy look, uh, I would at least tell you that they look related. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like, is it just that they are from similar stock or, you mm-hmm. know, eating similar diets and wearing similar fashions and being photographed under similar lighting or like, yeah, I don't know. But I will say versus if you gave me like all the pictures of the outlaws in this book and you had me match Phillips to one of them, I would match it to Butch. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure if you if you had me do similar, you know, not not that I've got this book in front of me, but matching him up to a younger version of him, that looks convincing to me. Yeah, I don't know. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. But like here, I'll send you a picture of Tom O'Day. He he obviously looks nothing like most folks. He's a really distinctive looking guy, and so is Phillips. But for that matter, so is little Billy. I just don't know, Devin. I just don't know. I wanted to. Stick oh the landing goodness. and say, yeah, I know what happened to Butch Cassidy. The only thing I'm pretty sure about is he didn't die in Bolivia. I mean, there's yeah. a completely separate thing where Phillips gets a hold of this information some other way. And Cassidy was kicking around in 1925, but mm-hmm. was not Phillips and died some other way mm-hmm. peacefully okay. or not. We don't know. You know? Sure, but some other way. Well, no, I'm going to go with you and, and say, Bolivia, that wasn't him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it, you know, with these mysteries, it's not just one thing, right? It's not like no. he's either Phillips or he died in Bolivia. It's like, or right. he lived and Phillips is a different guy, or he lived right. and in 1925 he was doing his grand, you know, Hey, remember when tour of Wyoming and Phillips ran into right. him and grabbed his manuscript and smothered him. Who knows? Right. Like, <laughs> right. There's a million ways that this could play out. And yeah, like I said, fantastic rabbit hole because so much of it depends on how seriously you weight each piece of information. Like there's mm-hmm. a million pieces I didn't put in. And I know that's going to sound absurd because mm-hmm. we've been recording for eight years. But there's been all this shit about for like least a fire opal ring that's, you know, Cassidy's got it on his hand in this picture and then it goes to a Phillips and Phillips gives it to Cassidy's old flame and blah, blah, blah. Oh. And of course, that's all reliant on a couple references and a couple letters and squinting really hard at old black and white pictures and being like, that, that could nope. be a fire opal or a ring nope. or a piece of string <laughs> or a flaw <laughs> on the lens. Or I don't fucking yeah, know. An aberration. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, 
too much. Mm -hmm. That's why I pay you the big bucks to figure this out for me because then that gets too rabbit holy. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just mad that I don't know now. Yeah. I'm frustrated. Yeah. Don't make me frustrated. I think with a mystery, we always hope that if we dig deep enough, we're going to hit the bottom and all will be revealed. We're going to get to that point. And I just don't think this is one of those mysteries where that's ever going to happen. I think the legend has overlapped so much with the reality and it's inextricable at this point. Are you okay with that? I mean, you you (laughs) like a tidy ending, don't you? I do like a tidy ending. I like a happy ending for that matter. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Yeah. I, what would constitute a tidy ending for me would be, Phillips being a sweet guy who ended up with 13 kids of his own and a horse ranch and died peacefully mm-hmm. of pneumonia. Whoever Phillips mm-hmm. was, he sounds really unpleasant and it sounds like he died yeah. hard and nasty. And I feel bad for him about yeah. that, but I also feel bad for Gertrude and Billy having to live with him. Yeah, I don't know how to make it add up. Yeah. But I was really excited to get the chance to learn a lot about Butch Cassidy. Because whoever whoever Phillips was, Butch Cassidy sounds like a real good guy for for an outlaw. He sounds like an anti-hero. He sounds like a a classic Robin Hood of the West. And that's Mm -hmm. really cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, he does to me as well. And that's... um... Again, not to glorify, you know, the, the, the shootouts, the killing, the, the whatever, but he does sound like, um, someone that you kind of could root for and you could see why people would root for and then glorify. Absolutely. And my regret is that if Phillips was Cassidy or if Cassidy stuck around, that we don't have more insight into what it was like dealing with your legend growing so fast while you were still alive. Like I talked about it some on the historical hotties episode where I talked about Josie and Wyatt Earp, but for him, the gunfight at the okay corral was just like a really bad morning where, you know, he was really scared and he thought he was going to die. And then he had to hurt other people and for it to become this legendary thing. That's probably the worst day of his life is the only thing anybody ever wants to talk to him about, you know, what would it have been like for Butch? Did, did he like hearing about stuff that he did that was nice or did he feel like it was overwhelming and that if he came out, as butch in later life to the public at large instead of just his friends and family maybe he felt like everybody would expect him to start doing adventurous and wild things again mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i don't know yeah oh what a good story Whew. i mean I, I want of course i want phillips to be butch just so i can say that Butch lived in in our Spokane, mm-hmm. but I don't want Phillips to be Butch because Phillips, like you said, sounded like a, a not nice person. Mm-hmm. I feel both those ways, but I'll put up mm-hmm. some pictures and I'll put up some resources. I'll try to go by his house sometime or his, his houses and his businesses yeah. and see what's still around before this episode comes out. So oh. I can put up some pictures and that would be on our Facebook, on our Twitter and our Instagram. 
yes. folks can always go if they forget how to get to those just go to ouijabroads.com i'll always have the latest episode up all the episodes more information this episode and any episode that i get done before the absolute last minute will always be up early for patrons on patreon that's patreon.com mm-hmm. thank you to our supporters through that am i forgetting anything Devin? Oh, yeah. Give us a rating and a review and a subscription. We love reviews. Please. The most out of left field thing. I was seriously like sitting there eating vanilla checks this morning, reading this book when I got to the part about the kidnapping of Coles. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Said out loud. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. What the fuck? What a kidnapping yeah, plot. The That's the most bizarre aspect of this that I can't. Yeah, I, I I can't make sense of any of it, but that especially, I'm like, why would Bush suddenly kidnap somebody? Why would you suddenly kidnap anybody? Why would you think this no, would that, work? What on earth? Right, that's it, just so incredibly out of character. Mm-hmm. That's not what he was good at. Yeah, why'd you bail on the kidnapping? <laughs> Could you not get somebody to back why, you up? Yeah, Were you right? only tough when you had a partner? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, oh. My friends, thank you for joining us today. I want you to live weird. To die weird. And to stay weird. I need to go eat thank lunch. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.